And uh, once again, uh, good morning. If this is your first uh, Sunday here with us, glad to have you. And uh, we hope that uh, uh, you are able to get close to God and He connects with you and that you connect with Him. Well, we've been having some, uh, some really good reports from Managua. And uh, with, uh, we have 12 ladies that have gone down to, to Managua with our church there. And they're doing some outreach and putting on some conferences for young girls. And, and God it truly is, is moving and doing some amazing uh, things there. And um, just to kind of give you a, a little bit of an idea of how God is in this. Um, now, if you're my Facebook friend, and uh, most of you aren't. No, just kidding. <laughs> but... Uh, I, I posted something on there. When, it, when we went to the airport that morning, all the girls, they each had two bags, 50-pound bags. Um, so that needed to get to, to Managua. And uh, so I helped her bring them up, too, because I'm a nice husband. I things that I should do, right? And put them on the scale. And, uh, and she goes, this one, it's, um, it's eight pounds over, overweight. You're going to have to take that off. You're going to have to take things out of it and, and figure out what to do. And then her face got look, got really weird. I go, I just lost 10 pounds. You don't have, no, you're good. You're good. Picks up the bag. Puts it in there. So that's pretty cool. And uh, that's just the beginning of God working. And, and he's been continuing that. And it's been a great week. Uh, uh, Aaron was telling me about uh, this uh, girl who had this horrific, just a horrific background, it sounds like. And during a time with the with the uh, the younger uh, ladies, I believe she prayed to receive Christ, and and she's at church this morning. They're meeting right now uh, in Managua, so it's it's pretty cool. So we'll be getting great stories, and um, from there, and they'll be coming back tomorrow night. So, well, we are like halfway through First Samuel, chapters thirteen through uh, sixteen, and um, you can begin to turn there. I don't have the page for you for the pew Bibles. But if, uh, if you have your own Bible or your pew Bible, you can go ahead and get there. And so this week, we're going to kind of continue the story of Saul. And he has become a king. And so uh, he has shown glimpses of being up to the task of doing the right thing. Yet there seems to be this underlining character and heart and belief issue that is about to be exposed as we walk through these chapters. And so last week, Pastor Nick brought us up to speed with Saul. And we were introduced to him. And, uh, and he kind of used the term, he said that, that Saul was, was like a, a mixed bag. And so, you guys remember, if you were here, he showed a picture of a, um, a container of mixed nuts. And so, in, in honor of Nick's illustration and how he confessed that, that he's one of those people that, you know, you guys aren't like this, I know this for sure, that would take all, all the good nuts and leave, and leave the bad nuts for whoever else here. Well, I bought him a whole bag of mixed nuts. And I've taken out all of the good ones, and I'm going to give him that. So I just, it's part of his penance for that confession there. And uh, so I brought it here for him. But, but in actuality, just as an example of God's grace, I actually got him some whole roasted salted cashews. So, yeah, so he's going to, I think he's going to be very, very uh, happy about that. So, um, but you know, if you remember, uh, he also said that when somebody would ask him about, uh, you know, well, who did it? I mean, who took all the, all the good stuff? And, and Nick, you know, he, kiddingly, he said, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Well, what happened there is Nick kind of swerved into one of the defining characteristics of Saul. 
in these next few chapters. And that is this, is that Saul did not own up to his disobedience to God. And he did this thing. He blame shifted and he just constantly was making excuses as to why he would not fully submit to what God had told him to do. And so basically he's saying, hey, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. No, it was somebody else that did it. I, 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 mean, I mean, yeah, I was there, but it really wasn't me. So let me tell you where we're going to go this morning. Uh, it's always a challenge when you take uh, you know, like three chapters here, three long chapters, and you want to narrow it down to a, a short message and uh, you know, to some key points um, as you prepare uh, the message. And uh, it's hard because when you study God's word, it's, it's so much fun. I mean, it really is. And you start digging and looking and reading and studying and you get lost in it. But you have to come back up for air because you actually have to put together a message that's, you know, shorter than three chapters worth of information. Now, um, many of you know, maybe not all of you know, uh, Corey Bacher. And uh, he's a, uh, a Bible teacher at Worthington Christian. And I, was, I gave him a hard time last service. He was the first service. I think he has a permanent Bible. He has permanent Bible scuba gear. And he just dives into God's word. He just stays there for days. And uh, it's evident as, uh, as you talk to him. And that's why I love hearing him talk about God's word. And, and it's so much fun. But uh, moving on here, there are two very dramatic narratives of Saul's life in these, these verses here, in these three chapters, that define really his, what his true character is. And we see this played out even in his life beyond these three chapters. And so he can't really escape it. It's not just a couple of moments here in these three chapters. All the way through the rest of 1 Samuel, we see him become fearful and lost. And, and he gets to this point where he's obsessed with, with hunting David down, uh, the next king. And all of this centers around Saul's lack of full submission and obedience to God's word and commandments. And I say a lack of full submission Meaning that Saul steps right up the line. If I could use an analogy of a swimming pool, okay, or a pool, um, you know, it's like, like he's told what to do and he steps up right up to, to, to the edge of the thing. He dips his toe in the water, okay, and then he jumps all the way in. He dies and he starts off really well, but what happens is he, he kind of quickly exits that. He runs down the side of the pool, gets to the other end of the pool and says, hey, look, see, I did it. I'm done. I did what, what I was supposed to do. And, and, and he's wet and he looks like he did it. But there's something that just doesn't seem right about it. And so when the truth comes out, because, you know, the security camera recordings are there, because we know that in the Old Testament, they had security cameras, right? And so you look at the footage off of that and, uh, um, and he, didn't really, he didn't really do it. He didn't do what he was commanded to do as an example. And he has all kinds of excuses. And some of his excuses seem even good. Hey, I, I did what I was supposed to do. Didn't you see me wet? And so there's this like appearance of being godly and doing the right thing, but he doesn't have the powers. It says in 2 Timothy uh, 3, 5. So what happens here is this begins to expose a pattern in his life. You know, and what that pattern is partial obedience to God's instruction, partial obedience to his word, partial obedience to his commandments. And it has some serious consequences in his life. And as we will come to begin to understand here that this is not, partial obedience is not obedience. Obedience to God and his word is not deciding what 
parts we want to do and want to obey and the parts that we don't want to obey. No matter how spiritual that thing that we do or may seem in our minds. Because what happens is that that makes us God. We turn into God. We, we start making decisions on what we're to obey and not to obey. So probably the best way to start here is maybe to read a definition. Just one definition of, of what obedience is. And uh, uh, it says this. Obedience is the acceptance of the authority and will of God. It means submitting to him and his word and expressing that submission in actions, words, and thoughts. To be obedient is to be in, in agreement with God. And so all of Saul's life or, or in Saul's life in these three chapters, it all comes to a head in chapter 15, verse 22. So we're going to like jump forward and then we're going to jump back again. And then we're going to take ourselves back to verse 22. But this is when Samuel, you'll find out, he's calling Saul on the carpet. Okay, Saul did some things and didn't do some things. Uh, we'll find that he did not complete things that God wanted him to do. And so, and so Samuel's saying, hey, Saul, you know, we need to, to talk about this. And he's trying to get to the heart of the matter. He's trying to get to the heart of, of Saul because Samuel loves Saul. And this is breaking his heart. And he says this, and I'm sure it's up on the, um, well, not yet, but up on the screen. And it will say this, verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So we're going to get back to that there. But And as we walk through this morning, this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about a few things. I have four things that I want you to think about as you hear all the information, and then we'll revisit it. And these four things are this. Number one, as a Christ follower, what does it mean for you to be, or me, to be fully submitted to God's word? Number two, what does it mean to be, a little bit like it, obedient to the Lord? And number three, am I obedient to the Lord and his word? And then finally, it's a really good, really good question as you listen to this message. Is there some, some of Saul in me? Is there a little Saul in me? So be thinking about those things as we walk through here. Let's pray, and then we'll jump into this, our first story in chapter 13. Father, uh, Lord, we, just, we invite you. We, we need you to speak to us this morning. Lord, bring your word alive. Um, these chapters are, are so interesting, and in many ways they're so sad. Uh, yet there's, there's truth and there's, uh, there's victory in them too. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, first part of the first story. Um, and the way that we're going to jump into this first story is just uh, look a little bit at a few verses in chapter 12. And that's going to set up the expectations towards Saul and the people that God has. So he's going to begin to get some instruction. He's, he's going to set him up here. And so Saul has been charged by God to take care of his people. He has been appointed king. And God, through Samuel, gives him instructions and promises based on his obedience, either good or bad. Okay? And then as chapter 12 finished, the prophet Samuel, and you might have, I think we read this last week, in what some say is his farewell address, in, in a few verses, he communicates two very important, specific things that Saul 
is, and the people are supposed to do. So Samuel tells those gathered and to Saul that all Saul, all you have to do, Saul, is to achieve success, is to serve and obey the voice of the Lord and to not rebel against his commandments. Follow the Lord and it will be well. And if not, the hand of the Lord will be against you. Let's read this, verse 12 through 15 in chapter 12. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, and he's talking to the people, you said to me, to Samuel, no, but a king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king, you already have a king, you don't need this king, but... And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. And here's his instruction. He says, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. And then in verse 20, he charges them again. And even though they had done evil and stuff, God's grace is so, is so wonderful, so powerful. He says, look, serve the Lord with all of your heart, even though you had done evil. And then in uh, verses 24 and 25, he says this, only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things that he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. And so God, through the prophet of Samuel, has very clearly communicated what is important to God, to serve God faithfully with all their hearts. And this is to be shown how by keeping the commandments of the Lord, saying that if you do this, that it's going to go well. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the story in chapter 13. I'm going to kind of walk through it, kind of paraphrase because it's, it's kind of long as each of these chapters are. And if I can get to chapter 13 here. All right. So what is happening here? Let's kind of set the stage. So back in chapter 7, the Philistines, God has just went up against the Philistines. And he's kind of pushed them out. And uh, they were defeated to a point. Okay. And now, back, uh, now they're back and they're strong again. They've regathered here. And so Saul sees this, and what he does is he chooses 3,000 men, 2,000 with him, and then get, we get introduced to Jonathan, and there's 1,000 a with Jonathan. And then Jonathan in chapter 3, he is the kind of the faithful, trusting guy. He just likes to move forward and trust God that, he's, uh, that God is going to deliver him. So he initiates the battle with the Philistines, and he attacks the Philistine outpost, and this then provokes this all-out war. That's beginning to happen. And so the, the Philistines are gathering this vast army. The Israelites are seeing this vast army. And what is happening with them is that, is that they, are, they see this army and they're beginning to get fearful and nervous. And it says in the word that they're scared or hard pressed and that they were in trouble. And it says that they were so fearful of what was to happen that they hid in caves and thickets and pits and cisterns. And some of them even quit and they fled and left the battlefield. And then in verse 7, it says that Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. So, so this is what Saul's got. Saul's got these people. A lot of them have left, but the ones that are with him, they're trembling. They're fearful of what's going to happen. So, verses 8 through 13. 
starts off. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. And so right off the bat, here's Saul, right? We're going to talk about his character, but he seems to be doing what God had commanded him to do. Back in chapter 10, uh, it might've been the place where uh, this Samuel told Saul, said, hey, I need you to wait seven days, then I will come and I'll make the sacrifices and the offerings to the Lord before you go into battle. Um, or it might have been another time just before this time uh, that that happened. And so he starts off, he's doing the right thing. He seems like his character is, is okay. But then he becomes fearful. And he takes some things into his own hands. And this is what happens next. He says this. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So they were getting even more fearful. So Saul said, bring the burnt offerings here to me. And the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, guess what? Samuel showed up. And to me, uh, he was uh, doing those offerings on the seventh day. Samuel showed up at the end of the seventh day. Just as soon as he got done, here comes Samuel. And so he was becoming fearful. He took things into his own hands. He performed the burnt offering. And then immediately Samuel shows up. And so Saul now goes um, out to meet him, and then he begins to explain what happened. And so we pick this up in verse 10. And I said, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. And then Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, and here he begins to make excuses. And And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, I said, now the Philistines are going to come up against me. And here he is is a little character thing that we're going to see in him as he begins to turn things and he starts making it about himself at Gilgal. And they're going to come down against me at Gilgal. And I haven't sought the favor of the Lord. We need to seek the favor of the Lord. I mean, this is going to be happening. So this is what I did. I mean, I did everything in my body. Everything that I could possibly do. Is, and then, do you see the word in there? He said, I forced. I forced myself. I mean, this was such a burden. I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. Remember everything that that he had told him so far. So Saul goes out there and he begins his excuses. He begins to blame shift. Uh, Remember the the nuts? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was the people. It was what was going on. It was the army. I had to do something. And we can surmise pretty much here that I'm pretty confident that he knew he had messed up. Because what happens is he goes on this excuse tour and he begins to tell Samuel all these different things. Now, I want us to have a little sympathy for Saul, okay? I mean, put yourself in his position. Think about what he was facing. He's getting ready to face this great army. They're all amassing. His people are like jettisoning out of there. They're fearful. They're trembling. They're leaving left and right. They're scared. And you can imagine he's waiting there on the day one, day two, day three, day five, six, stay seven. Where is Samuel? 
He's not going to come. I know he's not going to come. I need to take care of this. We need to go before the Lord. And so he moves and he makes a move. But that doesn't excuse Saul. God's instructions were not situational. Not like the pirate code in the Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Captain Bobosa said uh, the code is more what you'd call guidelines than actual rules. Well, that's not true of God's word. Saul had promises from God. God chose him. God raised him up. God had warned him and his people to follow and trust and obey his words and his commandments. So, so Saul was not a, unaware. There was no question as to what God really wanted him to do. He got it directly from the prophet's mouth. And so now we begin to see Saul's character revealed. We begin to draw some conclusions about Saul that prove out as the story continues and as we will see as a pattern in his life. And that is this, partial obedience, circumstantial obedience. Things that seem right or spiritual have the appearance of. And then when he's confronted with the truth, what what, what does his character do? He makes excuses as to why he did not carry out the things that God had told him. And then he begins again to blame shift. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. So let's point out real quickly four things that define Saul's response to his situation. As the world is pressing into Saul, when he begins to fear, when things don't seem to be working out, the way he thought that things were supposed to go, when he began to doubt God's word and therefore take things into his old hands, what was his response? Well, number one, he showed partial obedience to God. In other words, disobedience. In reality, what this was is that his fear, he moved on his fear and it was misplaced. And so he did something and it caused him to act. He did wait the seven days, but he did not wait for Samuel as he was instructed. See, God's law, and and, and Saul knew this, explicitly states that only a priest from the tribe of Levi is the one that can do the sacrifices or offer a burnt offering. And as Saul became fearful, what did he do? He jumped ahead of God and he did it himself. And then, of course, Samuel shows up. Number two, he showed self-reliance or if you want to write down pride. And, you know, self-reliance is okay, right? It's a good thing in the right circumstance, in the right context. But in this context, it's not, it's not good. Saul was king, and he took things into his own hands. And maybe, perhaps, um, Saul, being king, thought that, hey, I am king. I have authority. I can do things. And so maybe from that part, he usurps God's commandments, and he does what he thinks is right. And he chose to rely on himself and his resources rather than to lean on God and to lean on his word and to trust him. Now, did you, did you ever see yourself there? I certainly do. I've seen, I've seen, I've been there. I think we all could say that we've been there when we jump ahead of God and it's just not going right and, and it's frustrating and there's fear and it's like, well, I got to do something. I got to do something. And we start to swerve from, we start to serve from God's truth. We don't, you know, we're, we, we become anxious and we don't thank God in, in that time. And we begin fear and it lets us and leads us into things maybe we don't want to do. Number three, it's, therefore, it showed a lack of trust or faith in God. 
See, the problem with, with Saul is that, that he, didn't, he didn't act out in faith. He acted as if God was not going to come through. Basically, he was saying by his actions, like, I don't believe it. I don't, you know, I don't, God's not going to come through here. Uh, he's not going to follow through on his promises. And that's because, in reality, he didn't really trust God. Number four, he showed impatience with God. He was unwilling to wait to let the Lord. Been there before? Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And I'll say this a few times. You might want to write this down. And this is about partial obedience. Partial obedience is really only disobedience made to look acceptable. Let me say that again. Partial obedience is really only disobedience made to look acceptable. So let, let this challenge us, this first part, as we've seen Saul react. When hard things come into our lives, do we do some of these same things? Do we show partial obedience to God, misplacing our fear? Do we show self-reliance? Do we show a lack of trust and faith in God? Or do we show impatience with him. Now, what was the consequence of of Saul's disobedience? Well, verses 13 and 14 says this. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. He was right there. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And so Saul's kingdom is just slipping out of his, his grasp here. And we see the door open for the next king, who, of course, is David, a man after God's own heart. And this is almost kind of a, I don't know how to say it other than like a backhanded slap to Saul. He says, I'm looking for a man after God's own, own heart which is obviously, Saul, that's not you. You're, 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 after, you're after your own heart here. So that's our first story. We got those things to kind of look at and to challenge us. Let's like move to part two, the second story. And so we're going to pass right through chapter 14. It's really long. I encourage you to read it. It's really interesting. There's some weird things that happen there. Um, so uh, if you have a chance, make sure that you go ahead and read chapter four. And we just, we just can't put all this together in one, one morning here. So let's jump to chapter 15. Okay. Because chapter 13 and 15 kind of connect. The very first thing to note here is the very first verse. And so if you look at that, it says this And Samuel said to Saul, look, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. That's a fact. That's a truth. Now, therefore, I want you to listen, listen very carefully. Listen to the words of the Lord. And so he begins with a strong reminder before this command that he's going to tell him. Uh, Obviously, he knows Saul. Saul didn't do too well in chapter 13. And he really wants Saul to understand this. It's very important for him to follow through with God's command. And so the setting is clear. God gave a very clear and direct command. Verse 3, he says this. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women and children and infants and cattle and sheep and camels and donkeys. Man, that's a that's a tough, tough verse. And uh, you know we can't dive into um, how God 
works and uh, completely in this and his sovereignty in this. But we, do, uh, we don't know the entire context well enough to understand the reason for his command. But what we do know is that the Amalekites, they show up in the, the Old Testament in a bunch of different places. They show up in Exodus and New, Numbers and Deuteronomy and here in 1 Samuel. And in the most every incident that, that the, these guys show up, they're seeking to destroy and they're attacking and they're killing Israelites. Each time it says that they attacked, they attacked, they attacked. And so we don't have this full picture of what the Amalekites are like. Only God does. And he has stated, though, his will extremely clearly and tells him what to do. So let's continue to work through this chapter um, here. We pick it up in uh, verse 7. And Saul's defeated the Amalekites. Does this sound familiar? Once again, it sounds like uh, he's doing good so far. He takes what he was commanded and he starts off and he defeats them. But as we're going to learn and have learned about Saul, Saul only obeyed to a point. So verse 7 says this, And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Hmm. Interesting. And he devoted to destruction of all the people with the edge of the sword. And here you go. One of the the words that you always see in in the Bible, and it's a powerful word, and it's B-U-T, but. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. And so right off the bat here, we see that Saul did not do what the Lord had commanded him. He spared some. And so the word of the Lord comes to Samuel and it's not good. All right. And so Samuel here says this. The word of the Lord came to Samuel and he says, and God says this, I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Samuel, Samuel loved, you get a picture that Samuel loved Saul. And he was just so disappointed that, that of what Saul was doing. It was breaking his heart and it was also breaking his heart for God. And he cried all through the night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel... Saul came to Carmel, and look at what he did. And behold, he set up a monument for himself. Is that weird or not? And he turned and passed on, and he went down to Gilgal. So, here you have Saul. He he believes that he has done the right thing for some reason. He thinks that he is absolutely amazing. That he's the best thing since sliced bread. And he's so convinced he's done everything right, it's almost delusional. And so he sets up this monument to himself like, yeah, the king has arrived. And he has the appearance, as like I said in the beginning, of doing what God has commanded him. And this is what he says. And so Saul comes up to Samuel and Samuel uh, and says this to him. And so Saul, Saul's going, Samuel! Oh man, it is so good to see you. I, and he's just euphoric. So good. Blessed, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. And this is what he says. He says, I 
have performed the commandment of the Lord, I, Saul, have what? Performed the commandments of the Lord. He thinks he's done. He thinks he's got it done. And then what comes up is truly one of my most favorite statements in the Bible. One of my, my favorite, favorite statements. Now, whenever you hear, every time you hear a pastor's talk, they always say what? Oh, this is one of my most favorite verses in the Bible. It's like almost every message. And so, and so in reality, you know, every verse is your favorite verse, right? It's God's word. But this is truly, I love this, all right? And Samuel said, um, Saul, what's that sound I hear? What's that sound I hear? Can't do a move very well. What's that sound I hear? Samuel said, what then, if you've done everything here, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? In other words, what's that sound that I hear? Uh, Listen, obviously you have not done what God has wanted you to do. And so, excuse me, Saul is busted. In verse 15, uh, it says, and Saul said, and here he goes again. You guys ready? They have brought them. So he gets busted. And what is the automatic? It wasn't me. It wasn't me. No, it wasn't me. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to do a good thing, to do a religious thing, to sacrifice to the Lord. And I want you to notice something really subtle here. He doesn't say, my God. To my God, he says to to your God. And here's this, like this another crack of character of, of Samuel where he is, he's moving away from the Lord and, and he's saying, no, this is Samuel, your God. Very, very interesting. And then the rest we devoted to destruction. And then Samuel said to Saul, stop it, stop. Saul, this is, this is not right. And he's, he's very upset with him. I'm going to tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Saul said, okay, speak. Now, the first thing you're going to notice here is that Saul is, is, is unrepentant. So let's take a look. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And he's saying, Saul, man, look where you came from. You don't think much of yourself, but God thought of you so much that he raised you up to be the king of Israel. He anointed you the king of Israel, the head of the tribes of Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission. And he said, go do this. He said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why then did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission of which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil. I, I mean, you know, I tried to tell them. I told them it was not a good idea. The sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction. And they did it for a good reason, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So he's unrepentant. He quickly passes the blame, blame shifted. It wasn't me. Spiritualizes the reason why they kept um, all the animals and it was to give an offering to the Lord. And then he says, 
this little switch, your God. So Samuel has to rein him in and he has to tell him to stop. Verse 21 and going on from there. He says something and it brings us back to the very beginning of where we started here. And that is verse 22. Samuel here is about ready to explode. He has some very important thing to say to Saul. He has something very important to say to the people. And in line, he has something very important to say to us. Verse 22 and adding verse 23 says this. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is at the sin a divination. And presumption, doing your own thing, jumping ahead of God, is as sin or iniquity and idolatry. And the consequence, he tells Saul, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Folks, this is so important for us to get. Why is obedience more important to God than sacrifice? Why is it more? It's because we can sacrifice without loving God. We can actually sacrifice without loving God. But we obey God because we love him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command and keep my commandments. John 14, 22 goes on to say, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Folks, we can't, we can't pay for our, our not listening to God and doing what he wants by more sacrifices, by going to church every Sunday, by giving more, by serving, by going to youth group, by going to college group, by being in a small group, by having our quiet time, okay? We, we can't really make up for our sin. We, there's not things we can do there. And that's what it is, disobedience is. It really is, it's, it's sin. Being a better performance Christian, it can't resolve this thing, this disobedience. But what can't resolve it? You know what can? It's something that Saul missed. Repentance. The one thing that Saul lacked and he was unable to do for some reason to bring himself to when he was called out was, was to repent. And it was unlike King David, which we'll find out when David sinned dramatically and Nathan the prophet came to him and called him out. There was a whole different response from David. Repentance. So, what does it mean to repent? Let me walk you through just a couple of things. Number one, it means that there's no more excuses, okay? It means we face up to our stuff instead of offering up excuses. We don't do a Saul. And then when we, when we offer up excuses, what's happening? We don't own it. It's not really our fault. And you think that's really repenting to God? No. Hey, I'm so sorry, God, but you know, it wasn't me. I, it wasn't all of me. I know I was there, but there was these things and these extenuating circumstances. Number two, it means saying sorry to your creator and asking for forgiveness. Number three, it means moving back towards God, leaving what you did, moving back towards God. Repentance is turning back to him and his voice, not our voice, not others' voice. And it's moving away from our sin 
and moving away from our disobedience. And finally, number four, it results in action. We actually do something. It leads to a changed life. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so there's Paul. Or excuse me, Paul, Saul, same guy, right? No, not really. But Saul, twice in this period of time here, in the last part of 50, he confesses, he says, I have sinned, I have sinned, right? In 24, he never really repents, though, because he blames fear and the rejection of people. And then in 30, he says again that he has sinned. But all he wants to do, and it's really sad, and we'll get to this, is that he just wanted to be honored before the people. He wanted people to like him. First Samuel, verse 30, this is, this is really kind of sad. By the end of this story, Saul inability to trust and obey and to change his ways, to confess and to omit and to blame others for his disobedience, to not owning up, takes him to this point where all he cares about is himself and that he would be accepted by the people and that they would think that he's a good guy and that he'd think that he's a religious guy and that he'd think that he, he is the king and that he is their king, but not his God. Verse 30 says this. He says, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people, before Israel, and return with me. Will you come with me? Will you, will you tell everybody what a great guy I am? That I may bow before the Lord, your God. It's really just an empty gesture here. Honor me, honor me, honor me. And the last verses here too are really quite sad. Verse 34. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gabeah of Saul. And Samuel, he did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Sam, it, was, it broke Samuel's heart. He grieved over him. All right. What are our takeaways here? Number one, we're going to finish up. God does want us to be obedient and to listen to his words, all right? He wants us to be obedient to it. He wants that more than sacrifice. He wants that more than all the things that we think that we need to do to be good before God. If I would just do this, if I do this, then God's going to accept it. No, he already, remember Nick said last night, he already loves you. He loved you before you loved him. Remember this definition, obedience is the acceptance of the authority and will of God. It means submitting to him and his word and expressing that submission in actions, words, and thoughts. To be obedient is to be in agreement with God. James 1 says this, 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Saul just listened to the words. He began to do, he didn't complete. So don't deceive. We don't want to deceive ourselves. Do what it says. Number two, when we do sin, simply, we just don't want to be Saul's. We don't want to follow his example. We just simply, you just need to own it. I need to own it. You need to own it. We don't complicate it. We don't make excuses. We don't blame others. We confess and we repent and we trust God's word. It says this, that if, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How cool is that? 
We're going to have the band come up as we, we finish just this very last part here. And so two takeaways. God does, God does want us to be obedient and listen to his words. And it's better than any sacrifice that we can make for him. And number two, when we do sin, don't do us all. Don't complicate it. Don't make excuses. Don't blame others. So to finish up, we're going to revisit the things that I asked you to be thinking about in the beginning of the message. Okay, there was four things. Number one, as a Christ follower, what does it mean for me to be fully submitted to God's word? Number two, what does it mean to be obedient to the Lord in my life? And number three, a pointed question. Am I obedient? Am I obedient to the Lord? I mean, really, am I obedient to the Lord? Number four, is there some Saul in me? And this is a a very pointed question. I want you to think, is there some some of Saul in me? Folks, there, (laughs) there is some of Saul in me. There are times when I, I... I mean, as anybody else would, I don't follow after God's heart. I hear his word. I may even hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and I don't respond. And I don't do, I, and I don't do God's word. I don't do his, his commands to me. And so we all have a part of that in us. And so I want you to think of this. And so in light of these chapters, uh, this week, I want you to take those four questions. I want you to walk through those things. I want you to go before the Lord. I want you to ask those questions. And if you need to repent and, and ask God to forgive you, he will. He will make you new again. Now, maybe that last question hit you this morning. It certainly did me. As I was thinking about this and I wrote that down, it's like, man, what a great question. I have some assault in me at times. And so this is what I do. I want to give you a little opportunity. Just a moment here to close your eyes. And so if that's true of you, if you have some of Saul in you, I want you to confess that to the Lord right now. I just want you to, don't, don't think about what's going on. Don't think about how, just anything or maybe how long the service is or what the next worship songs are going to be or, or what you're going to do afterwards, where you're going to go to lunch or, or, or what you're going to do with your friends. I want you to think about this and, and close your eyes and, and confess it to the Lord. Now. Clean that slate. Don't be a Saul.